Alyssa Milano calls on all abortion supporting women to go on a sex strike, thereby reducing the number of women who will get abortions in order to own the pro-lifers or something like that. Seems pretty good. Meanwhile, pro-lifers hold a powerful 1,000 person rally in Philly. I went to it as child stalking Pennsylvania state rep Brian Sims hides in his apartment because for the right, life is a precious gift. Whereas for the left, life is a fatal sexually transmitted disease from which no one has ever recovered. We will talk about sex baby. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. We're three days into the sex strike now. All conservative men seem to be doing pretty great, smiles on their faces. All of the whiny liberal feminist men who are dating feminist women who are going on a sex strike seem just as miserable as they always have. So I guess nothing really has changed. We will talk about sex strikes through the ages from Aristophanes to Alyssa Milano and why they don't work. But first, it is time to move on to one of our favorite success stories, Movement Watches. Founded on the belief that style shouldn't break the bank, they've sold almost 2 million watches worldwide by bringing quality designs at fair prices. I got to tell you something. I was on a plane the other day. I'm sitting next to a guy wearing a, I won't say the brand, very, very, very expensive watch. The guy looks over at my watch. I'm wearing my Movement Revolver Atlas. He asks me where I got my watch from said, oh, well, I can save you 15% right now, actually, if you listen to my show. Movement watches are all about looking good while keeping it simple. They don't tell you how many steps you've taken, or they don't blow up your wrist with stupid text messages. They're not intrusive. They don't give you like beeps and boops and all that kind of stuff. They tell the time like a classic timepiece should do, and they look really good while they're doing it. Movement watches start at just 95 bucks. If you were to try to get this watch in a department store, you'd be paying four or 500 bucks for the same quality from a traditional brand. This watch, clean design, uh, very minimal. It's, it's got this retro vibe to it. It reminds me a lot of watches from the 50s and 60s, but it's updated. It's not just a total throwback. It's updated for the modern era with this clean design and high quality. It's why Movement has sold almost 2 million watches in 160 countries. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That is Movement launching new styles on their site all the time. Check it out at movementmvmt.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Join the movement and get this one, the Revolver Atlas. That's my favorite one. So Alyssa Milano is going on a sex strike. Why is she going on a sex strike? Because of anti-abortion laws, specifically the one passed in Georgia, which says that if a baby has a beating heart, you're not allowed to kill it. The left, being led by Hollywood, Alyssa Milano, political activists, are so upset that now in Georgia, you're not allowed to kill babies with beating hearts that they want to go on a sex strike. However, like most things that Hollywood celebrities and leftist activists say, they didn't think this one through. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Alyssa Milano wrote, quote, our reproductive rights are being erased. Until women have legal control over our own bodies, we just cannot risk pregnancy. Join me by not having sex until we get bodily autonomy back. I'm calling for a sex strike. Pass it on. There are no original ideas on earth. This is, this is not original at all. This is the premise of an ancient Greek play called Lysistrata 
by Aristophanes. So now some people who are <laughs> reading about the Alyssa Milano thing are calling it Alyssa Strata. So the premise of that play is that all the men were fighting in ancient Greece and the women wanted them to stop going to war, so they all cut them off from sex until the men would stop going to war. This is a very ancient idea. This is a, actually a very conservative idea that the way that women can affect change in the world is by withholding sex from men. Uh, Alyssa Milano cited how this has been used in, in throughout the ages, either apocryphally, either just as a matter of telling stories or in actual history. She said that the Iroquois women refused to have sex in the 17th century as a way to stop unregulated warfare, so just the same as the ancient Greek version. And she said very recently, Liberian women used a sex strike in 2003 to demand an end to a long-running civil war. I'm not sure. I was not in Liberia in 2003, so I cannot verify that. However, I now may have to have surgery to remove my mind's eye because Bette Midler is joining in on the sex strike. So now that image is in my head, and I'm very sorry, that image is in your head as well. She tweeted out and said, I hope the women of Georgia stop having sex with men until these indignities are overturned. So if you were hoping to sleep with Bette Midler, you're out of luck, pal. Sorry to tell you that. So the, uh, the thing I would like to point out about this sex strike, there's so many jokes to be made about it. The thing I would like to point out is that it doesn't make any sense. And it's not just that it doesn't make any sense in one way or in two ways. There are actually, as, as far as I can tell, seven ways in which the sex strike from Alyssa Milano does not make any sense. Uh, the first one is abortion supporting women are now practicing chastity thereby reducing the number of overall abortions in order to stick it to the pro-lifers. Hold on a second there. So the social conservatives who've been saying for years that women should be chased and not be sleeping around with every guy they see, now the pro-abortion pro women are practicing chastity. They're not going to have sex. And therefore, they're not going to have unwanted pregnancies. And therefore, they're going to end abortion. Cool. All right. That's fine. If we knew we could do it that easily, we would have not been campaigning in Georgia and around the country. We would have just called up Alyssa Milano and tricked her into doing this sex strike. The second way in which it doesn't make any sense is even let's say that these pro-abortion women were going to have sex and then get pregnant and then not have abortions, even if they don't have the abortion. Now the women who support abortion are going to stop having sex and therefore stop having children that they can teach to support abortion. A lot of people inherit their political views from their parents. We like to think that we're all totally free thinkers. We all completely come to our own political ideas on our own. In some cases, that's certainly true. But for some people, they just kind of go along with the political biases of their parents. In this case, the women are not going to, they're not going to have sex. They're not going to have children. They're not going to teach them to support abortion. So over time, abortion activism will die out. Okay, that works for me. Again, if we, uh, I, we don't need the Georgia law. If we can end abortion another way, happy to do it. The next way in which this doesn't make any sense, and this is my favorite way, is just ask yourself, if you're Alyssa Milano or somebody else, who does this hurt? Not to tell any tales at a school. I don't want to be, you know, giving away rumors from the old purple mattress. This does not hurt me. This does not hurt conservative men 
who ostensibly are married to or dating or engaged or whatever to women who are not crazy followers of Alyssa Milano. So, so the conservative men still get to have all the sex they want. The men who are supporting this bill in, in Georgia and other heartbeat bills throughout the country, they're still having all the sex that they want. In this case, it's just leftist women depriving their leftist boyfriends of sex in order to stick it to the conservatives. <laughs> great, great, man. This, you know, I, I often point out that feminist men are the creepiest people that have ever walked the face of the earth. They're all just walking Beto O'Rourke's and they're, they're, you, you would never let your, your daughter go near a feminist man. Feminist men are the kind of guys who, when you go out of town, they're there to comfort your girlfriend. You know, that's kind of feminist men. So these guys who have, they've basically made a deal with the devil. They've said, we're going to surrender our manliness. We're going to surrender our masculinity. We're going to, we're, we're going to not, be, not be toxic. We're going to be totally feminist men in order to uh, ingratiate themselves to women. They're going to be like really sensitive, you know, and like, mm-mm-mm. So those guys have, have made that deal because they think it's going to help them sleep with a lot more women. And now those are the only guys who are not having sex because of this stupid ban. Uh, okay, works for me. Another way in which this doesn't make sense, number four, women. So the idea is the only way that women can change this abortion law in Georgia, the only way they can affect political change is by not having sex with men and therefore compelling men to change the law because only men can change the law, except that women make up the majority of the country. And women have a major voting advantage over men. Women vote over men with a 15 point margin. So not only the majority of the country, the majority of the electorate, if women want to affect political change, they can. Now the premise here, of course, is ridiculous. Alyssa Milano's premise is that all women want to have abortion on demand all the time. That isn't true. Half of women support pro-life. Half of women oppose abortion. But if women did all support abortion, you would have, you could change any abortion law in the country. It is, it's so, it's so ridiculous to say that women are totally subservient in our body politic. Women have the vote. Women have had the vote for a hundred years. They don't need to rely on men. They don't need to compel men. They don't need to trick men into giving them what they want to have. Now, the fifth way in, in which this doesn't make any sense is in order to stop men from controlling women's bodies, Alyssa Milano is going to control women's bodies. So in order to, the whole premise here is that women don't have any autonomy over their bodies. Therefore, you can't have sex women. And th this actually, this leads to my favorite irony of the whole thing, which is that sexually liberated women are now admitting that men like sex more than women. The Alyssa Milanos of the world, the people who support the sexual revolution, abortion, all those sorts of things, they are now admitting that really men prefer sex. And women, maybe they like sex, but they don't like it as much as men. Sex, they say, is primarily about men's pleasure. That's the thesis of the sexual revolution types. They don't, they, they wouldn't admit that in those words because traditionally sex is primarily about 
making babies. I mean, a euphemism for sex is, hey, you two going to go over there and make some babies? That's traditionally. But now what, what the abortion activists are saying is, no, 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 sex is not primarily about making babies. We can totally stop making babies. And if you accidentally do make a baby, we'll kill the baby. But if it's not primarily about making babies, then what is it? Is it primarily about women's pleasure? No. If sex were primarily about women's pleasure, then Alyssa Milano wouldn't propose a sex strike to compel men to change the law. The only reason the sex strike should work is because men really, really like sex and women don't like sex that much. So now you've got the left, the sexual revolution types, admitting that sex is primarily about men's pleasure. Which, by the way, in, in this day and age is obviously the case. And if you talk to any guy after he's had a couple drinks, no matter if he's a liberal guy, a so-called feminist guy, or a regular normal guy, they will all point this out. This is the greatest trick that feminism has ever played on women, is convincing women to give men limitless sexual gratification with absolutely no accountability, no responsibility whatsoever, and then convincing themselves that they're the ones benefiting. So women go, they'll say, okay, I'm going to go, I've, I actually heard this before. Say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to pick up a guy tonight and we're just going to have casual sex and it's not going to mean anything. You see every guy in the country just, oh my gosh, no, am I dreaming? Wake up, I'm pinching myself, I can't. But the women have convinced themselves of this because feminists want to convince women that women react to sex in exactly the same way men do. And I think a lot of the reason why some left-wing women are upset with Alyssa Milano right now is she's giving away the game. She's admitting, no, men want sex more than women do. Men like sex physically more than women do. That's why this idea of a sex strike has existed since the earliest days of our history. It's why the classic example of this is a play from ancient Greece, and it has persisted over time. Now, what we're seeing on the left is a neo-Puritanism. It's just a bunch of rules. It's like a new Victorian era. The left told us that we had to get rid of all our old rules concerning sex. Right? They said, no, you can have sex before you're married. You can have sex outside of marriage. You can have sex with men, women, animals. I don't, I don't know what they're saying now. You can have threesomes and foursomes and polyamory and gender non-binary and 56 genders and no rules concerning sex. That was the pitch in the 1960s and 70s. That was the pitch until very recently. But now, once they've ripped out all the old rules, they're the ones making up a bunch of new rules. They're the ones who on college campuses around the country are talking about a sexual assault epidemic. Title IX on campus, they're calling for consent forms to have sex, consent apps to have sex, redefining the term sexual assault, redefining all these various forms of sexual assault saying you can only do this and this, and you can only do this at this time. And, and now Alyssa Milano saying women shouldn't have sex at all until a certain law is repealed. How did this happen? How did it go from the conservatives making all the rules about sex and enforcing them to the left enforcing all the rules about sex? It's because nature abhors a vacuum. So I guess the idea for the 1960s radicals was when you get rid of traditional sexual mores, then that's it. You'll be fine. 
you just get rid of them and then we're going to have an age of Aquarius and we're all going to have a bunch of hippy dippy sex and it's going to be a lot of fun, right? That was the idea of 1968 and 1969. But inevitably, after that sunny, sexy time in the 1960s, you get the 1970s. You get the consequences of that. You get the decay and the degradation and you go from the high of the drugs in the 60s to the hangover and the addiction of the 1970s. When you get rid of traditional sexual mores, inevitably you have to invent new ones. Why? Why do we need the rules? Because the traditional rules arose for a reason. Did you just think, I mean, I guess the left thought this, did you think that for thousands of years of human history, we've had fairly similar rules governing sex. I mean, some changes over time. We've always had a lot of rules concerning sex. Did you think that we had all of those rules just because? Just by accident? Because a bunch of old people weren't as enlightened as you, and now you're so enlightened so you realize we don't need any rules about sex? It was just an accident, thousands of years of human history? No. We, the rules arose because you need rules about sex, because sex poses serious questions, and sex poses serious problems that you have to seriously confront. So fine, you, in the 1960s, you want to get rid of all the ru old rules concerning sex, sex before marriage, uh, uh, prophylactics, you know, uh, condoms, the pill, things like that. Abortion, you have the major abortion debates in the 60s, ultimately leading to Roe v. Wade in the 70s. You, ch you totally change the rules, even down to that essential rule that you shouldn't kill a baby. Abortion was such a shame, such a disgrace as late as the 1950s, 60s, 70s. Now all of a sudden you have shout your abortion. You have people proud of their abortions. They're not really proud, but they're pretending to be proud of their abortions. You totally change the rules. Okay, the, there's no, no more rules, not, no bars. Everything's okay, nothing is wrong. If it feels good, do it. And then what happens if someone gets sexually assaulted? Oh, hey, we're just having fun. There's no more rules. If there's no rules, can you, can you force someone to have sex against her will? No, obviously. Okay, so you need a rule there. Well, how do you know that she's consenting? What if she's had a few drinks? You're the one encouraging everyone to go out and get blackout drunk and go to, go to bars and parties all the time. So what if she does that? What if she's not blackout drunk, but she just has casual sex and she regrets it the next day because the guy just walks out and leaves her? Is that there's no rules. There's no accountability. There's no traditional se sexual mores. Is that okay? No, that's, that's kind of wrong too, isn't it? What if now you go out, you have sex, you produce a baby, and the baby's growing, and, and, and you want to kill it? Can you, are you allowed to kill that baby? That seems a bridge too far. What is that? That is what we're litigating right now. The rules will reinstate themselves. Nature abhors a vacuum. The big difference here is the worldview. For the left, life is a sexually transmitted disease. It is fatal, and no one has ever survived it. This is why they call abortion reproductive health. They use this euphemism, reproductive health, and it's ironic because abortion is not about reproduction. It's about the opposite of reproduction. It's about stopping reproduction. But they call it reproductive health because for the left, to ban abortion is the same thing as banning a treatment for chlamydia. 
To ban abortion is the same thing as banning a treatment for gonorrhea or herpes. It's, it's a sexually transmitted disease. It's a, it's a bad consequence of sex is pregnancy, according to the left. It's, it's, a, it's an STD to treat rather than how the, the right views it, which is that it's a sexually generated gift. And what this argument comes down to is what is life? Not this stupid argument that some people have in abortion debates where they say, well, when does life begin? How can you prove that life begins at conception? Uh, the word conception, that's how I can prove it. Life begins at conception by definition. In conception, you have a sperm cell, has 23 chromosomes. It's a sperm cell. It'll just, if you leave it be, it'll just be a sperm cell and eventually it'll die. Then you have an egg, also has 23 chromosomes. And if you leave it be, it'll just be an egg and then it'll die. And then when you combine them, when the sperm fertilizes the egg at the moment of conception, it becomes a human being with 46 chromosomes, usually. Sometimes the little differences, but 46 chromosomes, a, a new individual human being with individual human DNA that is developing in a perfectly continuous path into a little tiny baby, and then a bigger baby, and then a toddler, and then a child, and then a preteen, and then a teenager, then an adult, then a senior citizen, and then, then they die. It's the spoiler of that story. But that is, the, that is a total path of life, undisturbed, continuous from the very beginning. It's, we're not asking the question, when does life begin? That's obvious. At the moment of conception, you've got something that is living. It meets all of the scientific characteristics of life. Scientists have described the characteristics of life over the years. The unborn baby meets all of those. It's obviously human. It's not a giraffe. It's not a zebra. It's not a little dog. It's a human being. It's genetically human. It is human. It is essentially human. It's independent. It's not part of the mother. It is distinct from the mother. We're not arguing about when that life begins. We're arguing about what life is, how life should be treated. Is life a burden? Is life awful? Is life terrible? Sometimes today you hear environmentalists say, we can't bring more children into the world. It's bad for the earth. If you bring in more children, it will, it will increase the effects of global warming. Sometimes you hear people make the same argument for the opposite reason. They say, we can't bring more children into the world because the world is so bad and it's too bad for children. So, well, hold on. I thought the children were too bad for the world. No, the world is too bad for children, according to some people. There's so much crime. There's so much suffering. Life essentially is evil, according to these people. Life is a bad thing and it's got to be cured. And the cure that they've come up with on the pro-abortion left, the Alyssa Milano left, the Democratic Party left, is to kill it in the womb. Very different from what we saw in Philadelphia. I was in Philly last Friday uh, over with my pal Matt Walsh because Matt decided to throw a pro-life demonstration outside of that Planned Parenthood where Brian Sims, that state representative, was bullying elderly women bullying underage girls, trying to dox them. Matt said on a Tuesday, he said, we should have a rally here. Then Lila Rose, live action came out. They said, we're going to get a permit. We're going to do the rally. Three days later, there's a major rally in Philly, over a thousand people, according to CBS News. 
That's according to a left-wing news source. They're saying it was over a thousand people. I was, there was, I couldn't tell how many people there were because there were just so many as far as the eye could see. We got some video. We talked to some people on the street. There were a handful of pro-abortion demonstrators. We talked to them. We talked to a lot of the pro-life people. We will discuss this major difference in worldview. And then we'll talk about AOC because AOC just admitted that one of her major arguments for the Green New Deal is a total joke. Then if we have time, we'll talk about our latest presidential candidate nickname, Alfred E. Newman for Mr. Pete Buttigieg. What? Pete worry? All of that and more. But first, you got to go to dailywire.com. 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me. You get the Andrew Klavan Show. You get the Ben Shapiro Show. You get the Matt Walsh Show. You get to ask questions in the mailbag coming up on Thursday. You get to ask questions backstage also coming up. You get another kingdom and you get this, the Leftist Tears Tumblr. Ooh, this is a, a special concoction. Mm-hmm. This is that sweet Georgia brew. Some of that sweet tea Leftist Tears. Mm-mm-mm. Tastes really good. Tastes like you can't kill babies after six weeks. Mm-mm-mm. Go get yours. We got more of these bills coming across the nation. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back. This pro-life demonstration in Philly outside of that Planned Parenthood is one of the most powerful events I've ever attended. I had never been to a major pro-life rally like this. I'd never been to a, a Planned Parenthood. I'm, I'm sure I've walked by them. I just haven't noticed it. Planned Parenthood is ghoulish, man. It is a chilling place to walk by. It is chilling to the bone. It is chilling to look at those activists. It's chilling to look at the building and to know what happens in there. Before this rally even started, I got there an hour early and I was hanging around with Matt and Lila and some of the other people who were putting the event together. Before it started, there were hundreds of people there. And some of them were political activists. Some of them were politicians. Some of them were just there praying. And th this is what really struck me, is you look at sort of concentric circles from the main event stage and you see people giving impassioned speeches about the science of it. I talked to a biology teacher there who was there just talking about the biology of abortion. And you see some politicians, political activists, political candidates. Then you see just religious people, priests, nuns, just quietly saying the rosary to themselves. I, I could have cried. I really almost cried on the spot because you realize it's all real. Sometimes when you talk about these political issues, things that become hotly debated in politics, they become abstract to you. Abortion rights, 36 weeks, 26 weeks, six weeks, heartbeat bill, they become abstractions. And then you look in that building and you know that there are real people in there killing real babies. And then you look at the faces of people who are just praying quietly and you realize they're really praying for real babies and real mothers. Planned Parenthood has staffers and they have volunteers who are called patient escorts. And the theory here, the, the line that they want you to believe is they have patient escorts because of those awful and intimidating pro-life activists yelling awful things at the women. Does not happen. Does not happen at all. I was there. There were a thousand pro-life advocates there. There was a sign that said, pray for Brian Sims. 
There were people quietly praying. There were signs that said, have courage, mom. Nobody yelling, no hatred, no none of that. That's a total lie from Planned Parenthood. The reason that Planned Parenthood has patient escorts out there is not to protect women who are going to have abortions from the awful evil slurs of pro-lifers. It's to protect women from their own conscience. It's to protect women from getting information about adoption. How in the United States there are 36 couples waiting to adopt every one baby that is born and put up for adoption. It's Planned Parenthood trying to protect their customer base because they know that if women are allowed to have this information, if women are allowed to see the earnest faces of people praying, they're never going to go into that awful place and let those awful people kill her child. So they have to protect their customer base or their money is going to run out. Their customers are going to run, their industry is going to run out. They're not going to be able to sell the dismembered babies for a profit, which we know that they do. We caught them on video joking about it, laughing about it. Total exposure. It was a, a total exposure here. The, the way you can look at, there was a woman who walked into Planned Parenthood just before our, our rally started. And the look on her face was of, she was distraught. So I don't think she was going in to get a breast exam. I don't think she was going in to get a pack of condoms. She looked distraught. Nobody from the pro-life rally was yelling at her. Nobody was saying anything to her. They were praying for her. They weren't, and you had that, you had that awful Planned Parenthood patient escort pushing her in. Come on, lady, get in there, get in there and make sure we kill that baby. And you had this woman looking distraught. Nobody ever looks happy going into a Planned Parenthood. Nobody's ever skipping along joyfully as they walk into a Planned Parenthood. Tells you everything. The left is so insistent. Go do it. This is hard, but go do You have to do it. You, you don't have to do it. There is no reason to get an abortion, to kill your child. Nobody looks happy walking in there. The, the Planned Parenthood staffers and volunteers don't look happy. You know who looked happy and joyful? The pro-lifers praying and demonstrating in front of it, singing songs, singing God Bless America, giving speeches about basic science, praying. There was one couple I talked to out there. There were only maybe half a dozen pro-abortion protesters. Virtually none of them would talk to me. One couple did. They had a sign that said, I voted for Brian Sims. And so I asked the guy, I said, you have a sign that says, I vote for Brian Sims. What's that about? Do you regret that? Here's what he said. So I see your sign says, I vote for Brian yeah, Sims. Yeah, I live in this district and we've voted for him for years. Did you see that? The, the, the Trump people have been taking away our liberties for two years now. We're trying to get them back. And unfortunately, we've gotten into this very, very dark time where we believe that women's rights outweigh the right of the body growing inside of them. We need more rights not less. So we with, need with, freedom. We need health care. We don't need our health care taken away. And part of that is abortion rights. You would agree abortion's not health care for the baby who's killed. The baby is not a baby. What is it? What do you call it? What I don't know. What is it? A baby. If, if it's not a baby, then what is it? He wants, to know, he, he wants a biology lesson. I don't need a biology lesson. I don't think I'm the one who needs a biology lesson. Even the language he uses gives away the whole story. 
He says, the baby is not a baby. Well, then why'd you call it a baby? <laughs> a thing can't, be, can't not be the thing that it is. If it's not a baby, what is it? He can't answer. Of course he can't answer. There's no argument. It's that's, they have no argument. They have a lot of emotion. They have a lot of slogans. And then you ask them the subtlest, any question about their slogans, they collapse. It is that simple. Matt, who organized this whole thing, he put it uh, beautifully. Here's just a little clip of his speech. I'm sure he'll talk about it more on his show today, but here's just a, a great little clip from his, his major speech at the rally. Now, there are two fundamental messages that we want to get across today, I think. Secondarily, we are sending a message to bullies like Brian Sims. And that message is very simple, that we will not be intimidated. We will not be silenced. So Brian, maybe now you understand something, but if you try to shut us up, we're only gonna get louder. And if you, if you try to shame us, we're only gonna stand taller. And if you try to scare us, we're only gonna get bolder. That's the way this works. And I'll tell you the reason for that is because we know that our cause is just. We know that we are right. We are firm in that truth. We have truth on our side and we will wield it like a sword to defend the unborn. Now, Brian, I know why you use scare tactics. I know why you bully, why you try to intimidate, because that's all you have. You have no arguments to present. You have no case to make. You have only chest thumping and schoolyard taunts. Well, they're not going to work. It's not good enough. That's it. That's exactly it. They have no argument. I, I went there. I flew from Missouri up to Philly because Brian Sims said he, he wanted to talk to pro-lifers. He was going out on the street harassing little girls and elderly women. And I thought, okay, Brian Sims can pick on somebody his own size if he wants to talk to pro-life advocates. Guess where he was? Hiding. He, there's no way he was showing up. We were right there in his neighborhood, right on his block. He wouldn't come out. Now he's blocked his Twitter page. He's locked his Twitter account so that I can't see it. Other people can't see his page. That's it. And it's a great message for pro-lifers, great message for conservatives generally. It seems sometimes like challenges are insurmountable. If I, when I was a kid, if you told me that we would be on the verge of, of limiting abortion, pushing abortion all the way back to the fringes, if not overturning Roe v. Wade entirely, I would have laughed at you. I said, oh, what are you talking about? The Supreme Court ruled on it twice, more than that. The, the, the whole culture is for abortion. There's no way that could possibly happen. And now look where we are. They, they, the left does this. The left always inflates their numbers. They do it because they have the mainstream media. They do it because they have the universities and they do it because they censor anybody who has an alternative point of view. But once you get past that facade, once you get past that smoke and mirrors, you realize they're nothing. It's like the Wizard of Oz. You see the big scary guy on the screen and you see it's a little guy standing behind the curtain. When you, when you confront them, when you show up to that Planned Parenthood, when you show up to Brian Sims' neighborhood, they all disappear. Those Planned Parenthood activists are not allowed to speak to pro-lifers lest they hear some truth, lest they dialogue with people who do have an argument. You, you, when you finally confront these bullies, when you finally confront these people, you find out they're nothing. They fold like a house of cards. Speaking of having no argument, 
before we go, we got to turn our attention to Washington, D.C., because one of the major arguments that the left has used to dominate our discourse over the last two months, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talking about the Green New Deal, she said that the world was going to end in 12 years because of global warming. She just came out and said it was just a joke. She came out, she, remember this is her big argument, the world's over in 10 years. Some presidential candidates, Beto O'Rourke said it's going to end in 10 years. They're trying to out left wing one another. Now she came out and said, oh, ha ha ha, I was only kidding. She tweeted out, quote, this is a technique of the GOP to take dry humor and sarcasm literally and fact check it like the world ending in 12 years thing. You'd have to have the social intelligence of a sea sponge to think it's literal. But the GOP is basically Dwight from the office, so who knows? Ha ha ha. First of all, if AOC is really going to bring up fact-checking, obvious humor as an example of some stupidity, let's not forget that Snopes, fact-check, all these things are, are constantly fact-checking the Babylon Bee. They're fact-checking obvious satirical websites as though they were true. This is, talk about the pot calling the kettle black, but let, let's take AOC at her word. AOC is saying, guys, guys, I was totally just kidding about the Green New Deal and about the world ending in 12 years from global warming. Why, why on earth could you possibly take me seriously? Well, here's how she said it. Let me know if you think this is a joke. I think that the part of it that is generational is that millennials and people and, you know, Gen Z and all these folks that come after us are looking up and we're like, the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. And your biggest issue is your, your biggest issue is how are we going to pay for it? And like, this is the war. This is our World War II. Does it look like she's joking there to you? She's at an event called MLK Now, and she's talking to Ta-Nehisi Coates, one of the most self-serious left-wing writers. And she says, the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't stop global warming. And then that whole audience there, you'll notice they didn't laugh, right? What did they do? They applauded and cheered, but they didn't laugh because it wasn't a joke. She didn't laugh as she was saying it. You cut, you see the image of Tommy Heasy Coates. He's not laughing. Sure doesn't sound like a joke, but maybe it, I don't know, maybe it is. Here's another video. This one's a little more casual of AOC talking about the world ending imminently. We're screwed on climate. Like, I'm sorry to break it to you. If we do nothing, there is no hope, period. When it comes to climate in particular, we're actually screwed. There is a global threat to the planet, a global threat. And at this point, we don't even have to prove it. Just walk outside in winter in a lot of places and it's either way worse than you're used to or way warmer than you're used to. Hurricanes, storms, wildfires, we are dying now. There's scientific consensus that the lives of children are gonna be very difficult. And it does lead, I think, young people to have a legitimate question. You know, should, is it okay to still have children? There it is. There is that thing that we talked about at the top of the show. AOC was the first one to call for a sex strike, I guess. 
There's that thing that the left does. They say, don't have children because it's bad for the environment. Or don't have children because the environment's bad for the children. Or don't have children because children are bad in and of themselves. They just don't want you to have children. So she calls for that. She says, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have any more kids. Then, uh, look, if the only evidence of her talking about how the world is about to end because of global warming were this video, I would say maybe she was kidding because it's actually a hilarious video but I think it's unintentionally hilarious. I don't think she's trying to be funny. I think she just kind of is funny. We're laughing at her and not laughing with her. She says that this is a, a global threat to the planet, not just a regular threat, but a global threat to the planet, which we might want to point out to her, most threats to the planet are global. There are very few threats to the planet that are not global because the planet is a globe. But she says, we can see it happening now. We can see, we don't even need to show evidence for, look, you just see. If it's hot outside, that's evidence of global warming. And by the way, if it's cold outside, that is also evidence of global warming. See, there's evidence everywhere. Anything that happens is evidence to prove my theory. And this one does seem ridiculous. But if you think that she's joking because of how ridiculous she looks, just watch what she goes on to say. Just listen to this. How many years until the world ends again? We have 12 years left to cut emissions by at least 50%, if not more. And for everyone who wants to make a joke about that, you may laugh, but your grandkids will not. So she, I think she, she kind of forgets. She actually says later in the video, she says, the internet is forever and history is going to judge you. Yeah, right, AOC, the internet is forever. So now that you're saying that the 12 years line was a joke, we can go back to, I don't know, a month or two ago when you said that if anybody says the 12 years line is a joke, they're awful people and their grandchildren are going to judge them and hate them for it. She explicitly said not two months ago that if you question the world ending in 12 years because of global warming, and you call it a joke, you're a terrible person. And then what did she do today? She said that the 12 years line, that the world is going to end in 12 years because of global warming, is a joke. There is a joke in all of this. There is a joke. The joke has about three letters in her name, three letters in her initial, probably like a million letters in her name, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That is the joke. Speaking of politician jokes, I can't leave without addressing one of the funniest lines of the presidential race so far. President Trump was asked about the candidacy of South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, and his response was, quote, Alfred E. Newman cannot be the president of the United States. <laughs> and when, when I read that, I burst out laughing because the reference is to Alfred E. Newman, who is the goofy face on the cover of Mad Magazine. And I love Mad Magazine. I read it a ton when I was a kid. I subscribed for years. So I thought it was hilarious. However, Pete Buttigieg had a really good response to this that I, I think he responded in about the best way he could have. Donald Trump today in an interview um, compared you to the Mad Magazine mascot, said Alfred E. Newman can never be president. What's your response to it? So I'll be honest, I had to Google that. <laughs> uh, I guess it's a generational thing. I didn't get the reference. Uh, I, it's kind of funny, I guess, but uh, he's also the president of the United States, and I'm surprised he's not spending more time trying to uh, salvage this China deal. 
A very strong response from Buttigieg, because he's right. It is a dated reference. I know that Mad Magazine is still in print. I really like Mad Magazine. It is a dated reference. I bet if you asked most millennials who Alfred E. Newman is, they probably wouldn't know. And so, so what Buttigieg does is he says, ha ha, see, Trump is old and I'm young and he's the past and I'm the future. So you should vote for me. Okay, fair enough. Trump is a pop culture guy. So if he's only making dated references, that's probably not too great, right? Except that Trump is the president of the United States. Anything he says automatically becomes basically the biggest news story in the world. We're talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. This dominated the news cycles on the left and the right for a few days after he said it, which means that now everybody gets the reference. So you've got, okay, you've got a dated reference that is hilarious because Pete Buttigieg does look like Alfred E. Newman. Maybe some people didn't get it before, but now that Trump said it, everybody gets it, which is why it's a good attack, which is why I think it's going to stick because it's also so specific. So comedy really thrives in specificity. You do, vague things aren't that funny, but when you really, really drill down to, to hardcore specifics, if Trump had said, yeah, Pete Buttigieg isn't going to win because he looks like a cartoon character. That's kind of a lame joke. That's not that funny. Yeah, Pete Buttigieg isn't going to win because he looks kind of goofy. That's not a great joke. He says, yeah, Buttigieg can't win because Alfred E. Newman will never be the president of the United States. That is a funny line because it's very specific. It recalls a, a highly visual image and a long-standing image, and it's true. That's the other thing about comedy is it has to be true. So he, he nailed it. He made the comparison. I hadn't seen anybody make it before, although Seb Gorka pointed out to me that he had actually made this comparison a few weeks ago. So it, clearly Seb has excellent insight here, but I think it sticks. I think it's a good line. And, uh, the way that Trump will try to spin Buttigieg's response is that he's this arrogant kid who doesn't know much about history. And, and I think the way he'll try to spin it is the way Reagan spun attacks on his uh, age in the 1984 campaign. There was that famous clip where his opponent brought up, uh, where Mondale brought up that Reagan was so old and this should cause us to question his ability to be president. And Reagan famously said, I will not make age an issue in this campaign. I will not exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. And it was a fabulous response. And Mondale said that was the moment when he knew that Reagan had won the election. And so I think Trump will probably spin it that way. I think in terms of the hits on the age, it's probably going to be a draw. And now, as always happens with the king of marketing, you've got this brutal image. When you think Buttigieg, you now think the goofy guy from the cover of Mad Magazine. You Google Buttigieg, Alfred E. Newman comes up. You Google Alfred E. Newman, Buttigieg comes up. I think it, in the end, Trump landed the punch and uh, it's going to hurt him. Not that Buttigieg is, I, I think, a really serious presidential candidate, but he might be a serious VP candidate and uh, Trump landed the blow. All right, we'll talk more tomorrow about the guy that Buttigieg is totally replacing, Beto O'Rourke. Remember him? I don't, I don't really remember him either. We'll get to that tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you then. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Rebecca Dobkowitz and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio is mixed by Dylan Case. 
Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera, and our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey guys, over on the Matt Wall Show today, feminists have apparently discovered the value of abstinence. You never thought it would happen, but it did. Uh, they're going on a sex strike to protest some of the pro-life laws that have been passed across the country. Uh, personally, I think it's a great idea. I, I support it 100%, and I'll talk about why. Also, a Democratic congresswoman has uh, landed in some hot water because she yet again said something horrific and totally bizarre. Uh, but yet again, she is, of course, the victim because people are quoting her verbatim. That's the pattern here. And finally, someone emailed me with an interesting question. They want to know, are there contradictions in the Bible? I will do my best to address that question as well today over on The Matt Walsh Show.